Oh my God. <laughs> Welcome to the Fandomtastic <laughs> Podcast, where we believe that through books and banter, all is possible. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> We're changing things up a little bit. I'm Ava, aka Kingdom of Mass on Instagram, and I am joined by Stephanie, aka Ideally Inspired Reviews on Instagram. <laughs> hey, everybody. That felt that felt so weird. Like, I know. It felt like opposite day, but like in an uncomfortable way. <laughs> All right, Friday. let's never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. So today's episode, we are covering our recap of the first, technically the first released book of the Throne of Glass series, Throne of Glass. And clearly I forgot everything as soon as we hit record today. It's going to be a very cohesive episode. Uh, Yeah. It bodes well. (laughs) So anyways, so clearly we took a lot of, uh, well, let me let me rephrase that. We read this at this point, what, two weeks ago? The point that we're recording this, like two weeks ago. But Ava and I have reread this Ish. series multiple times already. But it has oh, yes. been a very interesting journey reading some of your comments and um, <laughs> your questions and topics and things that you want us to cover. So I can't wait to get to that, too. No, I'm I'm really excited. Like I think I think we're in the same boat in that the nostalgia is really real with Throne of Glass, but like every time we reread it, there's still more to cover and still more to talk about and still more to think about. So it's actually really fun that we get to engage with what other people want us to engage with rather than just what we naturally gravitate towards. Oh yeah. So I mean and also a lot of first timers too, which has been a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Just seeing seeing it through their eyes. (laughs) I'm so jealous of all the people. Like some of us went like started the series in 2012 and didn't get a definitive like answer as to how it all ends until 2018. And like the sheer angst of those six years like cannot be understated. It was it was almost too much. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's oof a struggle. Um I just think about it every time we go and we move to the next book. I'm just like, man, I can't believe we had to wait for this part and this part. I I mean, it's a whole different experience, (laughs) though, being able to read it back to back, though, I will say. So absolutely. Anyway. So for all you first timers, we definitely recommend turning around and rereading it again. I promise on your reread, you'll find so many more things. Yeah. Um, All right. But let's jump in. So. Starting off, what format did we read the book in? Because when I was stalking your Instagram page, um, I noticed that you had posted a picture for the Throne of Glass read-along with the collector's edition of Throne of Glass. Is that how you read it? Yeah, so I split it a little bit. Um, I read some of it in audio again because I do really love Elizabeth Evans. But also, yeah, uh it was probably it was the first time that I cracked open my collector's edition and the one that I read because there's obviously a UK edition and the US edition, which are only slightly different. Um, but I read the UK edition, which was a journey. But also like I I could appreciate like all of the design work and formatting that happened like on the inside of the book that I feel like sometimes gets underappreciated when you technically buy a book just to put on your shelf. So that was an experience right. in and of itself. Um, but yes, that's primarily how I read it. And it was 
a journey, a great journey. <laughs> what about you, Ava? So I also read a UK edition, but I just read like the standard UK paperback. I actually, this is my, it's my reading copy of Throne of Glass because it is like disgusting. Um, (laughs) It's a $4 copy that I got in a used bookstore. Um, I bought it and it had like water damage. The pages are stained yellow. There are like legitimate teeth marks on the cover. Um, like I'm not even like kidding dog, you. Like a dog, oh, yeah. like got into it. Or I something. hope they're dog. I really <laughs> hope it's got dog very marks. Upset. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's a trash copy. Um, it's really disgusting, but that means that I don't feel bad, like marking it up and I can actually like bend the book all the way around, which I know infuriates some people and it infuriates me a lot too, <laughs> but because this copy is so hideous, already and was when I acquired it um I don't feel bad about it at all so that's the copy that I read Throne of Glass out of um it is very beloved to me um because it's actually the only UK edition other than the collector's edition um of Throne of Glass that I own wow so I know I gotta get my hands on a box set of the rest of it. I mean, but. just knowing your collector status, I'm just, I'm genuinely shocked by this. No, trust me, no one is more, you know, shocked and enraged than I am. But I like, <laughs> I asked for it for Christmas one year and my parents outright refused. They're like, we will never buy you another Sarah J. Mass book. Not because we don't appreciate your love for her, just because you have too many fucking copies of these books and we will not contribute Rude. to the addiction. And I was like, <laughs> what about a book that's like a new release? Like Cre- like Crescent City 2 kind of co- falls like near Christmas time approximately. So I was like, what if you guys got me like a pre-order? And they were like, no. <laughs> oh like they gosh. will not fuel the obsession <laughs> in any way, shape or form. So... Anyway, that was that was a tangent. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I read Throne of Glass on a gross copy. Um, I will revert back to reading my U.S. paperbacks um, from now on, and I will not be bending their pages because I'm not a terrorist. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so what is your favorite scene from Throne of Glass, and does it like differ in terms of different rereads that you've done. So like my favorite scene when I first read the series, like for the first time back in 2012 is actually totally different from the scene that is currently my favorite as of this latest reread. Um, I think the first time that I read Throne of Glass, I can't like pinpoint exactly like favorite, favorite scenes. I, I will say that like one of my favorite, favorite like I I was gonna say moments but like reoccurring themes in Throne of Glass that I always remembered from my first time reading it was Selena's affinity for sweets and food and stuff and so like just her passion whenever like whenever it's mentioned like (laughs) any kind of food like I feel like that's always something that uh stands out to me and honestly all of Sarah's books is just like you can tell that Sarah has a very good relationship with food because of how (laughs) uh the food is described um but I just that's always something that I remember but reading it this time I will say that something that stood out to me that I'm sure I noticed before but maybe it just never stuck out as much was Mm -hmm. about uh 
when her and Dorian, um, like when she got him to read the smutty romance book. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I was like, I laughed out loud and I don't, I don't even know how many times (laughs) I've read this series, but I was just like, Oh my God. Like it was like almost like I was reading it for the first time or something. And I guess because of the Akasif, uh, like incidences in Akasif regarding smutty, Right. Which now let me let me pause really quick because I actually hate using the word smut, but like I feel like it's just the most direct route to describing what it is. But like no shade on erotic romance, by the way, or erotica reads, erotic reads. Um, I'm like trying to get out of the habit of using the word smut because I actually hate when people use that word. But regardless, I um, I found that to be like one of my favorite moments, aside from like any other time that Doran. Doran, while Dorian makes an appearance on Paige, is a favorite mm-hmm. of mine. So, yes. What about you, Ava? Um, so when I was first reading the series, um, one of my favorite scenes was when um, Nehemia and Selena like make fun of Caltaine in Eelwe. Like they're talking in the language. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and but then they're saying like, oh, Princess Nehemia thinks you're so beautiful, Caltaine. She thinks you're so smart. And they're just like trash talking everyone in the room. <laughs> um, and that is still like absolutely one of my favorite scenes. But I think that reading this this time around, um, so for full transparency, like I write the scripts, which means that I've been taking quite a few like notes in terms of what I think that Steph and I should cover in terms of these recaps. Um, and a lot of that has to do with like foreshadowing specifically. And I came across the scene where it's like just before the Yulemas celebration where they go to temple and Selena falls asleep and she's like very bored by the entire situation. <laughs> and Kale um, gets mad. But they have like the, yeah. <laughs> um, but they have the little like, like it reminds me of like a Christmas pageant where the kids come down the aisle and they have different like um relics and symbols that um symbolize the gods and the different gods and they kind of pick a person in the audience to like hand that item to um and selena is like the little this little girl approaches her and says that she's going to be blessed by uh the goddess diana who's the lady of the hunt um and i remember like sitting there recently during this last reread and being like oh my gosh, because like, of course, I remember that scene. It wasn't something that, you know, I completely forgot about. Um, but I didn't notice just how significant that sort of symbolism is. And for anyone who's reading the series for the first time, um, when you get to Empire of Storms, that temple scene is going to really pay off. So I'm like really excited for people <laughs> mm-hmm. um, who are reading this for the first time. Um, but I think that goes to show overall that this reread especially has given me so much more appreciation for Sarah's foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, especially because as Steph and I were talking about before we started recording this episode, um, Throne of Glass was not sold as like an, a seven book series. Um, so the fact that you have things that pop up in like book five, six, seven, um, where the groundwork was actually laid for that in the first book. Um, I just think it's like all the more impressive. Um, yeah. So those are, those are my favorite pieces, I think, of Throne of Glass. Like I know that, at least for me, I kind of view Throne of Glass and um, Crown of Midnight as like prologues um, to the series. 
Um, but she actually lays so much important foundational work in these books. And I hadn't really noticed before. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, I feel like we'll say this throughout all of our recap episodes. It's also very exciting reading the Throne of Glass book, the first book, after finishing the Assassin's Blade, because again, we're getting, we have more clarity going in. And and while we completely like, we appreciate anybody who actually has read it, not somebody who skipped it, but like actually has read it at any point in the series. Like, it's great that you've read it. I feel like you have a better appreciation for it already knowing what happened in the Assassin's Blade to then appreciate what's happening in the moment of Throne of Glass or Crown of Midnight or they're like moving forward because at least like you can, I feel like you, you have a better appreciation for that moment or that scene or like the importance of, you know, again, the character or whatever. Um, or you can always, like you said, like go back and be like, Oh, that's right. Like Sarah totally foreshadowed this even in the assassin's blade, but granted as everybody knows, um, Technically, the novellas that make up the Assassin's Blade were written or released after Throne of Glass itself was released. So therefore, I'm not going to get like go too hard on anybody right now. But when we get to the Crown of Midnight episode, though, (laughs) I'm not going to be as nice about it. (laughs) Just kidding. But no, 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 uh, no judgment, though. That's just my personal opinion. No tea, no shade. Right. Let me just (laughs) let me preface it with that. So nobody thinks I'm like dogging them. But anyway. Anyway, so next, my bad. Next up. (laughs) All right, so we're going to shift from favorite scene to, this is a two-part question. Um, Who is our favorite character from the main four? So that includes Selena, Dorian, Kale, and Nehemia. And then who is our favorite side character? Um, You can count any of these characters or any character you want as a side character, um, but the the people that our patrons seemed us to want to focus on the most were... Knox, Philippa, uh, Caltaine, and Elena. Um, yeah, go. <laughs> okay, so I remember, like, again, first time read, I obviously had a fond appreciation for Selena's character, Obs, because I, I love a strong, independent assassin, female assassin, okay? Um... I mean, who doesn't? Right. However, (laughs) even with every reread, my favorite character always is Dorian uh, in Throne of Glass. I knew you were going to say that. But, like, I just, I, I mean, I love that he's, like, he's a playboy with a heart of gold. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's just so... I mean, he has the best of intentions all the time and he knows how to work the system in his favor. But at the same time, like he he still rebels in his own way, but he's he's manipulative, manipulative in a good way. Like it's just it's so hard to like really pinpoint exactly what quality about Dorian. Dorian that I love, but I just all of them. I feel like he's like such a <laughs> like a calculating um intriguing character beyond like the romantic intrigue and all that stuff and the possible love triangle etc etc like i just really love um dorian because i feel like he's he's serving um 
entertainment with like every scene he's in, like just all the Mm -hmm. time. Like even in the serious moments, like you still are paying attention to what he's saying or doing in a scene. And that's more than I can say about some of the other characters in the big four. Cause I mean, I feel like with Selena, like what you see is what you get with her. Like, you know what you're getting with her, but with Dorian, I feel like, especially in throne of glass, you don't know which, what you're going to get with him. Um, so again, I found him to be the most compelling character. Um, therefore my favorite. Um, and of the side characters, I actually really like Caltaine's character. And I know that, and, and I'm also saying this from like the first time reading it, uh, Caltaine's character always stuck out to me. And yeah. it's one of those things where like, cause I'm pretty sure in Throne of Glass, cause I'm trying not to like, by the way, we will try very hard not to spoil any future books. Um, but I can't remember, is her opium addiction mentioned in Throne of Glass, like in the first book? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, like, she's clearly, she clearly has her her flaws. Um, and, of course, like, she's mean and stuff. But you can tell that, like, it's it's kind of like, it's kind of like that bully that you know had a horrible childhood. And, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, like, is probably, like, has, hor- like, no parents at home and is just, you know... Again, like not like trying to <laughs> to like put all of the bullies in the same thing, but like I feel like I'm always I'm always drawn to those characters because I'm just like, what happened to you? Who hurt you? What right. happened? Like, and that's kind of how it fell with with Caltaine. Like, I don't think that she really had the intent to be extremely harmful, um, but it was just kind of like she's the result of her situation. Um, so. Anyway, so Caltaine is my favorite side character in Throne of Glass. What about you, Ava? All right. Well, I'll start with side character because I actually agree with you. Caltaine's my favorite as well. Oh, phew. Um, I think that she parallels Selena in a lot of way in a lot of ways in the sense that, um, like Selena was given. You know, we love her because she's you know sort of the epitome of like the again, like what you said, badass female assassin. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's explained very clearly that, you know, she wasn't like raised from birth to be an assassin. That was very much not, um, her like life's intention, I guess, upon birth. Like she had loving parents we know who tragically died and then she was given the tools or, you know, depending on how you want to look at it, forced um, to take up the tools to become an assassin. And so now she manipulates her situation by invoking fear in people, by, you know, threatening them literally with weapons. And I think that Caltaine is also ruthless in that same sense. She just operates with different weapons. Um, so for all of the moments where we're like, oh my gosh, like Selena's, you know, being a jerk here and she has moments where she's kind of being a jerk. Um, I mean, really not kind of like, <laughs> I feel like she really is being a jerk. And I mean, there are moments where I'm just like, okay, you went too hard though. Like that's right. too much, <laughs> too far. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's Caltaine too. She's just, she's working with manipulation. She's working with words. Um, and appearances and you know she's in the same sense like 
we've kind of seen um, that the the opinion of the courtier, courtiers, is that how you say that word? I yeah. think it is. Um, it, they're not really held with high esteem by anyone. And the court is often mentioned to be this very, very ruthless place. So she's just trying to survive it as well, just like anyone else. Um, and so when I first read the series, I will admit I was a bit of a brat and I was like, I don't really like Caltaine. Like she's so bitchy and mean. Um, and now I'm like, Oh no, I get it girl. Like you do you, you gotta do what you gotta do. Um, I, you know, like if, if the story, if the role had been reversed, I think if we had had this book from like Caltaine's perspective, then Selena is absolutely the person standing in her way. And I would understand, like, I understand everything that she did. So, um, I'm also really excited to get to our crown of midnight recap episode. Um, both Steph and I have finished crown of midnight at the point of this recording. Um, so I won't like say anything that's revealed about Caltaine in that book. Um, but we do find out a little bit more about her family background. And I'm like really excited to talk about it because I have (laughs) thoughts with a capital T. Um, Regarding my favorite character of the main four, I actually, so I have to say that it is Nehemia in this book. I just like love her so much more with every reread. This is, you know, the funny thing about Throne of Glass is that it just like, it feels like it gets better and better. It's not one of those series that like ages poorly. Um, I... I, like, I think she's so complex and funny and like strong willed. And I think she just makes such an excellent friend for Selena and is the reason why, um, Selena, mm, now I'm like, I don't want to spoil anything. Um, (laughs) but I think like, she's a big part of the reason why Selena can still like look in the mirror every morning. And the big part of the reason why, um, she hasn't been crushed by Sam's death by Indovier. Like she has this friend to talk to, um, and connect with in a way that she doesn't connect with the boys as, you know, lovable as they are. Um, to have this friend who like means so much to her, I think is so wonderful, especially because as we know from the assassin's blade, Selena doesn't have a great history with female friendships. Um, so to see them, you know, just like, protect each other with tooth and nail is awesome. Um, and I, yeah, I love, I love Nehemia. She's so great. (laughs) Um, yeah. So that's, that's me. Um, people wanted us to bring up Knox and all I'm going to say is I, I wish that there had been more Knox in the book. That's kind of all I have to say about him. Like he's so fun. Agree. But I don't know enough about him to make any like I don't know, theories or any, like there's just not enough to work with. I feel like he's the same from the Akatar series with Balthazar where like, yeah, he just shows up and he has like, you know, half of a page of like dialogue and then disappears into the ether. But you're just like, but what about this guy over here? Uh, like what's, yep. what's, what's happening with him? Um, <laughs> You know, hopefully, well, hey, hopefully, as... you know, we'll, we'll learn more about him later on or in the world of Throne of Glass or <laughs> something. Well, as we say, if they appear for more than one sentence and have a name, then chances are they're going to come back. Yep. So fingers crossed. Um, okay. So on the subject of intriguing boys, when we first read the series, because we are very much on 
a different team now in terms of Selena's love interest. But when we were first reading Throne of Glass, were we team Dorian or team Kale? This feels like a throwaway answer. I'm pretty sure that like, I don't even need to ask this question because everybody probably knows our answers by now. But Steph, why don't you tell us, are you team Kale or team Dorian? This is like such a triggering question just because... <laughs> You're like I, I should have. Well, here's the the script, you guys. Well, no, 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 no. But like, here's the thing, because yes, this is a throwaway answer in the sense of like, if anybody has followed us uh, in any capacity, regardless of podcast or Instagram, they they probably know the answer to this. But I will say that the reason that it's triggering for me isn't necessarily because of who who's involved. It's because we've been in the fandom for so long and as Ava has pointed out before like she was a young adult when these books first came out um a sweet little baby exactly um for me obviously not being a young adult but a full-blown adult uh when these came out exactly (laughs) already paying bills um I I remember just this debate like this fandom debate when these books came out and just being like I've always and will continue to always go hard for Dorian right a hundred percent and I like I think that we'll be able to really delve into this after our crown of midnight discussion but like can't nobody tell me any different Dorian a hundred percent a hundred percent like the hill I will die on Dorian what about you Ava <laughs> um so even like to this day so like if if Selena's endgame person had not been the person that she ends up with I still would have like shipped her and Dorian like there were even moments in Air of Fire where I was like Dorian and Selena like it lasted for so long um that love for those two because I actually think that in a lot of ways they complement each other very well Um, And even after having read Crown of Midnight, where we do sort of get a different side of the Kale-Selena relationship, I just, I still think that Dorian is better suited to her of the two of them. Um, 100%. And even though there are, you know, like wonderful quotes in Crown of Midnight, um, especially, but even in Throne of Glass between Kale and Selena, um, (laughs) part of me always wishes that Dorian had said them. I'm just like, ugh. Kale, like this, this relationship is not worthy of this quote. I wish that it were going to Selena and like a different person. Um, <laughs> because I just, and I'll, I'll go into it in Crowd of Midnight. Cause I wrote out the, the notes this morning, actually of everything that I wanted to cover. Um, but I like underlined several times on one of my pages that like Dorian was just a much better in love interest because of like this exact quote which like kale himself says so he really has no one but himself to blame in terms of why i don't ship him and selena um but yeah so team dorian and selena forever like forever um always always they're just amazing always um okay so skipping to from um like romantic relationships into uh, platonic relationships. Let's actually dive back into Nehemia and Selena's friendship goals. Um, and specifically the scene at the end of Throne of Glass between the two of them. There are like moments where Selena becomes um, mistrustful of Nehemia, not not without fair cause. Um, Nehemia is, you know, kind of a secretive figure, even though she presents as very like um, 
one dimensionally kind. (laughs) (laughs) She's actually got quite a bit going on. So I understand Selena's hesitance at first, um, or in the middle of their relationship sort of. Um, but that scene at the end of throne of glass, I think really solidifies, um, the endurance of their relationship in the sense that, you know, Selena's fighting this duel, but then Nehemia is like fighting on behalf of her against these shadow creatures and the undead. Um, so what was your reaction to that and their friendship in general? I, I just, I, I love, I love, love, love their relationship for so many reasons. And, and it's hard, it's hard to really discuss it without spoiling. So I think that mm-hmm. we probably come back to this question with the, with the next episode, um, just so that. I don't spoil anything, but I will like preface my response in the next episode by saying that one of the most beautiful things about their relationship, I think, is that there was more similar about them than like there are more similarities than differences, but also like they really were to some extent soulmates. Uh, and I, and I feel like, um, like I used to always love introducing like some of my closest friends as like my like life mate or like my, you know, Aww. like my hetero life mate or my hetero soulmate because or platonic soulmate, I guess, is the best way to put it. But like I I feel like that was what Nehemia and Selena's relationship is, especially in Throne of Glass yeah. and especially in Crown of Midnight. Like I really do feel like they were like two halves of one soul just because of like the depth of their relationship. And um, it, I mean, it's really, and it's one of those things where it's kind of like these, this is exactly like this, like friendship goals because they also yeah. were not afraid to cuss each other out right. um, to put each other in their place. And, you know, and I feel like that's the best part of having a really close friend and somebody that you trust and confide in is to know that this is somebody that's not going to just be a yes man in your life, but it's going to be somebody who really is always looking out for you. And I think that that's really what Nehemia and Selena's relationship was like. So, and I agree as well, like with, with the, the end, like the whole scene with the staff situation, like I just, I I, like that she trusted Nehemia so Mm -hmm. much that she's like, all right, I'm going to take this staff with me to battle, basically. <laughs> like, yeah. even though it's kind of like, well, you could have taken a blade. Like, uh, I feel like <laughs> the blade will do more damage. But she trusted Nehemia implicitly, which, you know, again, right, is great to have in a friend. So, Absolutely. I think that, you know, one of my favorite things about these two is that they help each other grow, um, which is you know, kind of like what you were saying, you're not growing if you're in a relationship friendship wise or romantic wise with someone who always agrees with you and always tells you that you're right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the fact that we really get to see them, you know, so Selena's 18 in throne of glass and she's very much hovering on that border between girl and woman, even though we know that Selena obviously had to grow up quite quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, but she is still sort of, you know, has childlike tendencies occasionally, um, but I think that her relationship with Nahimi is actually what made me feel that she was much more of an adult um, because it feels like an adult friendship. Like the relationships that I had with like sixth graders on the playground is very different from the friendships that I've cultivated 
now as an actual adult. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, I see a lot of times in like YA friendships, they're wonderful representations of YA friendships, of age appropriate friendships, of teenage friendships that make sense for teenagers. Um, but Nahivia and Selena really do feel like their friendship is mature in the sense that they are not afraid to put each other in their place to, um, aid and confide in and also say dude you're so wrong like get your head out of your ass well i mean Um, and i also think also to the same point it's the relationships that you're fostering in your teens or even younger your needs change as you mature as you develop and so because i'm sure that we all have friends that we were super close to when we were in high school or in middle school but like these are not the same people that we talk to every day or that we're friends with every day because you've all, you've both grown in a different way or maybe you've grown better with (laughs) new people. Um, and it's not nothing against these other people, but yeah, I, I feel like the one thing about Selena in the throne of glass book and beyond is that she is developing as an adult. Uh, and I think that this is one of those relationships that she really chose for herself mm-hmm. um, as she is developing, which I think is why it is such an important friendship right. and relationship to her because, you know, they're both growing really. I mean, they're both developing, but at the same time, like if you think about all of the relationships that Selena had in the Assassin's Guild, these are all people that are like your work friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? These are coworker relationships. <laughs> yeah, these are your so... coworker relationships as far as like, I mean, like you're in close quarters all the time and you have to right. have each other's backs. But this is a completely different like foundation um, that she's right. creating with this relationship. So not to cut you off, my bad. Oh, no, you're, you're good. Um, yeah, no, I, I just, I totally agree. I think it, is one of the strongest elements of the series. And I know that, you know, when whenever we talk about Sarah J. Mass in the context of like relationships, a lot of people focus on her romantic relationships, which totally 100%. She writes excellent romance, top notch. Um, yeah. But I wish that that same level of appreciation was given to her female friendships, especially um, because especially when you're a teenager, like, it's hard to not compete with other girls and see other girls as your enemy. Like that's something that you actively have to like untangle out of your own bias because of media and books and television that have only depicted women in competition. And so the fact that, you know, Sarah J Mass like from the get go was like, actually fuck that. I do have this character (laughs) who's really picky with her friendships and will totally drop a flower pot on the head of a girl who's being obnoxious Um, but I'm also going to balance that with these two girls who would, you know, go to the end of the world for each other. Um, I just think it's so great. Um, so on the subject of Sarah J. Mass being an absolute genius, um, can we talk about some of the Easter eggs that we discovered while we were reading? Um, we've spoken a little bit about this, but one of the things that I picked up on and appreciated more this time around, um was the amount of times that the king looks at Selena's brow um, and then also the inclusion of the word marks. For some reason, I 
like categorize the word marks in my brain as being part of like the latter half of the series and being really influential there. Um, and I always forget that they appear so early on in the books. Um, so were there any moments for you that were similar to like my experience with the mark that's on Selena's forehead and the word marks being included? It's hard to, to answer this without spoiling I mean, maybe we, maybe, yeah, well, no, but maybe we, is. like, shelve, like, TBD in the sense of, like, maybe we talk about this in, mm. I mean, obviously there, there were, there were moments in this book that you understand, like, that you, that get revealed, yeah. there are reveals in this book as well, but it's so, like, a lot of these things are so tangled together to, to dissect it without spoiling is really difficult, but I will say that I actually did not notice reading how often the king pays attention to her brow. And it wasn't until like some of these questions, like, so as Ava talked about, like when she writes these scripts, like I'll go through and I'll kind of like read through it or like we'll ask everybody for input for questions and topics. And a lot of the times when when things get sent to us, I'm like, wow, I need to go back and check that because even I, who has read this so many times, like these are things that I never picked up on. Um, so yeah, so I, I noticed Mm -hmm. it after the fact, but actually that particular thing, the brow situation actually also will make sense later in the books, uh, as well. Yes. As far as like the King in particular and Selena in particular, um, because I just got finished reading because obviously Ava and I are a little ahead of the reading schedule just so that obviously we're prepared for these episodes. So I just got finished reading something in one of the later books that I was like, oh, wow, again, did not make this connection until Ava wrote this script. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that, that is, uh, there, there are a lot of Easter eggs and yes, um, so hard to talk about these things but i mean i guess the best way to put this now is really pay attention while you're reading because even if like something is mentioned in passing like it'll most likely come up again for sure and once you do get a reveal like make note of that reveal because when Mm -hmm. you like ava said like if you go back and reread it once you've read it the first time like you'll be like oh wow like, look at how this tied in with this. Because I think that for those of us who have read them as these books came out, we didn't pick up on all of this the first time around because we waited in between yep. uh, releases. But being able to read it back to back, you're like, oh, I see that. I see that. I see that. But I pick up something new every time we read oh, it. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. But anyways, Ava, do you have a non-spoilery way to <laughs> discuss any Not- Easter eggs? Yeah. Not really, not other than um, I mean, pay attention to the fact that the king is looking at Selena's brow. Yeah, um, clearly that's that is important. definitely important. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, but like it feels almost ridiculous because I want to be like, pay attention to Elena and pay attention to Nehemia. And it's like, well, no, well, no shit. You know, Obviously, like, of course right. those are important. <laughs> pay attention to Dorian, um, not pay attention exactly. to Gail. Yeah. Ugh. Selena, she'll make an appearance again. Look out for her. Right. <laughs> like, um, 
So, you know, with Sarah's books, like it's, it just really is important to kind of like keep your eyes and ears open and like be actively reading them. I feel like some books you can kind of consume without really paying attention and be fine. Um, not so with Throne of Glass. So keep your eyes and ears open. Um, and in that vein, I want to talk about Sarah J. Mass's multiverse game and how strong it is. Um, so this is this section is going to have very brief spoilers for um, Akawar as well as Crescent City because there are some things that I noticed that I just cannot not talk about. Um, in terms of the different worlds and how they converge. So we we see now the existence of the word in Throne of Glass. That's this like force that governs all of the worlds. Worlds as in plural. And Elena mentions that there is an evil in the castle and it sort of like echoes in all of the worlds. So all of this to say, Sarah J. Mass established with her literal debut novel that all of her worlds are kind of interconnected. Um, like you could potentially open a word gate, she says, and travel from one world to the next. And I always kind of had that in my brain. I was like, okay, cool. And we see, you know, sort of the different books that travel around the different worlds. Um, so there are some books that in, you know, Throne of Glass that make an appearance in Crescent City and like that's all well and good. Um, but one of the things that I noticed um, in Throne of Glass specifically, is that Selena says that there are theories that the mother goddess, who's sort of, um, I guess, like the chief uh, deity in Aralea, um, is actually a spirit from another world. And she traveled through a word gate and got trapped in Aralea, which to me sounds very similar to Amran's story, which we find out a little bit about in Akawar. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just find that to be very, very interesting. And then we have moments where the creatures that are summoned, so like the Ritterak being one of them, it is described as a demon. Like they are specifically called demons, not creatures, not monsters, demons. So is it possible that they're coming from the hell that is mentioned in Crescent City? I love that theory. Like, it's mentioned in Crescent City that hell is sort of another planet of its own. This is what Ada says. He's like, it's not like a place lying underneath um, Midgard. It's It's another dimension. It's another planet. And I'm wondering if, like, all of the demons that come out and, like, there are more in Throne of Glass, but they have to be, like, transferred through these portals in the same way that the demons in Crescent City are transferred through portals. I'm like, are they all coming from the same place? I mean... Like, why not, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, why not? I would not be surprised (laughs) if one day, like, in future books in the Akatar or Crescent City series... Sarah just so happened or maybe she has already and we've not noticed because she's so (laughs) slick like that with her writing um everything is just so organic it feels like it doesn't feel like it's like a sucker punch reveal all the time like right for example case in point there's a moment in kingdom of ash I always have to like 
mentally prepare myself to say that, by the way, because of you. Um, <laughs> there's a moment in Kingdom of Ash, and this is not a spoiler uh, because I'm not going to say exactly, but there is a scene in Kingdom of Ash that I didn't even realize was a big reveal for something else until years after Kingdom of Ash came out. <laughs> and Sarah, like, literally schooled me on an Instagram Live, and I was like, the, the fuck, though? Um, I, I called myself a fan. What, uh... But anyways, I'm I would not be surprised. Uh, that seems like a very plausible theory in comparison to some of the other fan theories that we see floating around. But that seems very plausible, in my opinion. I think it's very plausible. I like I wonder if she'll ever give us like a reference. Like I would love for Crescent City 2 to like see um, the characters interacting with other worlds in that way. Like, oh, there's some lore about a world called Aralea where the demons were also going. Like, and it, <laughs> it doesn't have to be like they meet the characters from Throne of Glass or anything like that. But I would love to see that sort of like, like textual interaction. I think that would be very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same vein of Crescent City and Throne of Glass, um, one of our patrons asked if we think that there's a connection between Rune finding his sword in a cave, this is Crescent City, and Selena finding her sword, um, or a sword, I guess I should say, also in a cave. I also really like this idea. Um, I think it wasn't, again, until we had to contribute, like somebody sent that uh, contribution is what I was trying to say. Wow, words are hard. Um, <laughs> it wasn't until that that topic came in with the question box on Instagram that I was like holy shit what like um I love that idea and I also love the idea of because there's also a floating theory about again rune the sword and then how it ties into Akatar. so I love Mm -hmm. I love this I love this like let's keep going on that like I (laughs) I hope that they're interconnected just because I feel like again just another way to show how brilliant because <laughs> like i hope we're not giving her too much credit you know what i mean in the sense of oh like gosh, oh never. this would be amazing and then later on it gets revealed that it's something completely like not <laughs> and we're like wow we thought you were so cool um in our heads uh but yeah no i think i i like i like that theory a lot i think that that's really really cool hmm I, okay, so I also think it's cool. I think personally that I enjoy it more from like a symbolic standpoint as opposed to like these scenes are interconnected on like a, like a uh, world building standpoint in the sense that I think that Rune finding his sword in the cave and like pulling it out of the stone denotes his chosen one status like that's a phrase that actually gets tossed around in crescent city um and so i think that selena finding the sword in the cave might not necessarily be like it might not necessarily be the same sword although again like who knows with sarah it's entirely possible that i'm like buck ass wrong um but i think it might potentially symbolize that she might also fulfill some sort of chosen one trope farther down the road um and we just have to wait and see, potentially. Just because, like, that sword, like, she doesn't take the sword until she uses it to kill the Ritterac. And then she, like, puts it back. So, like, there's a there's a hesitance for her to use that sword um, that just makes me want to pump the brakes on that theory just a little bit. Um, if, if she was, like, going to go after the sword or, I don't know, use it consistently, then I would probably be more interested in it. Um, 
but I think I need to find out more about Gavin and Elena, who were the original wielders of that sword before I make like a mm-hmm. precise conclusion. So mm-hmm. for now, I'll say it's just symbolic, but that's just my opinion. So, okay. Similar. So another patron question, which I actually hate. I can't remember who asked it, um, but I hate you for this. I'm kidding. <laughs> I could never. Um, but I was like kind of hoping that we wouldn't have to talk about it because it's so brutal. But I guess that means that we absolutely have to talk about it. So how heartbreaking was Selena's escape, quote unquote, from Indovier? Indovier? Is it Indovier? Is, okay. is how I pronounce it. I'm like, just because it's like French, vaguely, <laughs> it seems French. The I-E-R is typically French. Okay. Anyway, it's fine. We're, well, I, I, was, I always said like Andovier, I know, but like uh, that's how it's pronounced also in the audiobooks. So oh, well, then let's that's just how, go with that. We're going with it. Okay, perfect. Um. <laughs> but I mean, they also mispronounced Sarah's last name in it. So I mean, who's to say? Wait, how do they say it? They say Mas. Oh. And well. I mean, I know it's hard because there's two A's, so your brain wants to say mass, but it is very much mass. Um, <laughs> but anyways, I, I digress. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, Indovier, what was the question again? <laughs> How <laughs> heartbreaking was sort of her explanation oh. of the escape? Or it, not even escape, because that's what not what she was trying to do. Um, I mean, yeah. here's the thing. Um, again, this is for those of you who haven't. These are this is your first time reading it. What's sad, saddest about like the re, like her talking about her time in escape or you know when she left Endovier, uh, is that it gets worse. Like I feel yeah. like every time <laughs> that she recalls an experience or even in passing it's not necessarily meant for her to like like she's internalizing something and it comes up Mm -hmm. and this happens in the later books it just gets worse i feel like there's no good yeah nothing good that (laughs) other than like i mean because like i forgot for example that like they had shaved her head when she got there and that like they had like you know she hadn't bathed and like so these are all like little things especially considering in the assassin's blade you see how vain she is about her beauty and cleanliness and hygiene and then for her like these are just little things that's that contributed to her suffering there um, in addition right. to, of course, the physical things that she had to go through. But yeah, it just gets worse. So like, just like when you think it's sad, it, it'll get sadder. Yep. I mean, I'm so sorry, but it's it, it sucks. Um, it's a trauma that we all as readers also yeah. have to live through. So She takes us so, on yeah, a journey. Um, exactly. Sadly, she does. Yeah. So I think that, you know, in the when we're talking about Indovier, there's that moment in... Um, during her time where she snaps and understands that, you know, all attempts to escape in Dovier end in death. And she still goes for it knowing that, um, which means that, of course, her real intention was not to escape, actually, um, which is, like, traumatizing and horrible as hell. Um, but when I was reading this, again, um, something that I hadn't necessarily noticed or like paid that much attention to the first time around is the fact that she makes a point of 
remembering which of the overseers hurt the other um, slaves. And obviously, like, they're all hurting the other slaves, but she specifically, like, makes a note of who um, hurts the other young women who are in the mines. Um, and she takes them out. Like, she she's like, okay, well, if I'm going to go out, I'm taking you with me. And I think that that is such a strong piece of characterization because Selena often, like, describes herself as, like, vain and selfish and spoiled even after she gets out of Indovier, she has these moments where she's like, nope, I want the finest gowns and I want all of the chocolate and I'm not sharing it. And like, you know, so all on. the chocolate. <laughs> um, I just, I love, I love, I love Selena and her chocolate same. addiction. It's I mean, that's all of same. us. Like, yeah. I mean, again, exactly. It's like looking in a mirror. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's how she's, you know, and she like describes herself like that in Throne of Glass. Like she's self-aware in the sense that she knows that she's kind of obnoxious and calls herself selfish on multiple occasions. And we see this as kind of a point of contention between her and Nehemia, especially in Crown of Midnight. Um, and yet she still goes back and kills these guards who didn't hurt her specifically, but hurt other young women. And she goes back and gets revenge and avenges these other people. And like that is so knowing that she's going to die or is supposed to die, um, that is so inherently not selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it like actually pains me to see Selena, you know, call herself selfish or a coward. And like I understand why she perceives herself that way, but I'd still want to like reach into the book and shake her and be like, No, <laughs> you're actually so incredible. Like I hope you you know, come to embrace that a little bit more. Other people think that you're incredible. Like, why don't you see it? I know. (laughs) I, I freaking, I, 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 mm. anyway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, just, mm. Mm. (laughs) whenever, literally stuff, whenever you go, mm, just know that I'm like agreeing with you. Like that, like that one little non-comital noise is like, yep, exactly. Conveys everything that you need to know. I know. I mean, it's because, it, again, it's oh. like we 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 are also mentally working so hard to not spoil things. Like, I can't yeah. wait for us to get to like the last recap episode where we could just like let yeah. loose on everything that we, like we couldn't talk about before. But yeah, given the size of Kingdom of Ash, we're going to have to break that into like 12 episodes. That's what she said. The size of anyways. OK. <laughs> and on that note. Right. I know. Perfect. How on brand. Thank you <laughs> so much for joining us um, for our Throne of Glass recap episode. Yes. Uh, and tune in next week for was... our Crown of Midnight yes. recap episode where, you know, I'm going to have a lot of things to say. You're going to have a lot of feelings. A lot oh, of boy. things to say. I'm just waiting. Um, anyone who is truly a kale lover, you may have to gird your loins for the manner in which Steph is going to go off. Um, if it makes you feel any better, I have an appreciation, not necessarily for kale as a boyfriend, for, but for kale as a character. I have sympathy for him. So you will have someone on your team do not worry. It won't just be a hate fest. I will make sure of it. <laughs> and I'm the one that does the editing and will edit everything that Ava yeah. says out. Anywho. <laughs> That's what Ava thinks. Right. The final version will just be me talking yeah, to myself. Exactly. <laughs> like, 
hyping my own self up. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But anyways, thanks so much for listening. Make sure that you uh, have subscribed wherever you listen. Uh, leave us a rating and hopefully a review. Uh, a good one. If it's a nasty review, don't <laughs> feel like you need to leave it. Um, and <laughs> make sure that you're following us on social media at Mastastic on Instagram. Check out our shop at uh, phantomtastic.com. And also we have a few slots. Oh, dear. Sorry. It seems like there was an emergency happening in my neighborhood. There's sirens oh, things going off. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, we also have a few slots available on our Patreon, which can be found at patreon.com slash phantomtastic. I think I've covered all of our information ava is there anything else we would like to leave the, f- the folks with remember don't let the hard days win exactly unless you're kale and oh my God. <laughs> we'll catch you next week everybody right. <laughs> bye